0: Welcome to The Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past that were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic Principles. You have your Bibles this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. And then we're going to be reading about four verses together in Ephesians chapter 6. Many years ago, well, over a hundred years ago, uh, Theodore Roosevelt wrote a book called, or some articles called, The Strenuous Life. And this is <clears throat> some excerpts from that. He said, I wish to preach not the doctrine of of ignoble ease, but the doctrine of the strenuous life, the life of toil and effort, of labor and strife, to preach that highest form of success, which comes not to the man who desires mere easy peace, but to the man who does not shrink from danger, from hardship, or from bitter toil, and who out of these wins the splendid, ultimate triumph. Later, in another uh, set of articles... And the uh, name, the same, the strenuous life. He says, a, a life of ignoble ease, a life of that peace, which springs merely from lack, either of desire or of power to strive after great things, is as little worthy of a nation as of an individual. I ask only that whatever self-respecting American demands from himself and from his sons shall be demanded of the American nation as a whole. Who among you would teach your boys that ease, that peace, is to be the first consideration in their eyes, to be the ultimate goal after which they strive. Far better is it to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to take rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much, because they live in the gray twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. This morning, we're going to introduce our topic next week. Uh, we have a guest coming in, one of our missionaries, uh, Bill Hardecker, will be in Sunday morning and Sunday night. And so he is going along. I was on the phone with him uh, earlier this week. And so Sunday morning, if you have somebody you can invite out Sunday morning, get them to come out Sunday morning. It'll go along with our year theme, Then Jesus Came. If you don't know about Bill Hardecker, he's going to share a lot of his testimony on Sunday morning service. Uh, he was raised in the Philippines. His dad, uh, he has both American and Filipino um, citizenship because his dad was in the military. And so that's how he was able to come over to the States, uh, come to our Bible college. And uh, yet he was reached through a missionary over there in the Philippines. So I asked him if on Sunday morning he would share how Jesus came and saved his soul. And so we'll pause next week, but we're going to be taking February and March on Sunday mornings and be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 10 and on. Uh, you may have noticed uh, something different on the platform. All right, I had a pastor friend uh, that allowed me to borrow this, and so over Christmas I drove to his church and picked this up and he spent a lot of money on this, so we will be storing it, uh, not just leaving it out here. Uh, I don't want to have to pay it all back. Uh, but we're going to be looking at the armor of God, the armor of God. And in the beginning of February, I actually have coins you can buy, uh, a little coin. that is the armor of God coin. And uh, that pastor actually gave me the idea. They're only a buck because I think somewhere in some concentration camp, uh, this was made by probably a fellow Christian, uh, so that's why it's really cheap. But it's uh, it's very cheap, but it's uh, a good reminder. So I'm going to ask while we're preaching it, if you would desire, buy one of these and keep it in your pocket every day. Because what it will remind you of, when you get up, you're in a war. Every day, you're in a war. It's not just on Sundays. It's not just once in a while. If you read the context of Ephesians chapter 6, it is... Put on the whole arm of God. It doesn't say that it's something that you have to... Uh, I believe that it's something we have to do continually. Um, there was one guy that was saying, it, it never tells you to put it off, but I think that we kind of do. In war, you do take off your um, your soldiering garb every once in a while, but you're putting it on. You're putting it on. You're putting it on. And if you know the context of the book of Ephesians... Guess what the context of the book of Ephesians is? In Christ is one phrase, but also one of the phrases, to how to learn to walk, walk in truth, walk in love, don't walk in darkness, uh, put on uh, or be filled with the spirit of God. How do you have a good marriage? How do you have a good family? How do you relate uh, with your employer or your, as an employee? All, right, all of that is in the context of Ephesians. And at the end, what does he tell you? He gives you a hint. You'll only accomplish, uh, only accomplish this warfare through Christ, in Christ and you will only be able to achieve walking in love and walking in truth and avoiding darkness and avoid and having a not avoiding a good marriage having a good marriage and having the right family relationship and being a good employer or employee you will only do that and accomplish if you put on the armor of god that is what the bible is indicating to us what we have to understand, uh, Robert Murray McChain, uh, McShane said this: "I know well that when Christ is nearest, Satan also is busiest. He never he never steps down." The Bible often speaks of the Christian life as warfare. Paul specifically in this text which we had you turn to, is describing the Christian life as a continual conflict, a battle that must be waged daily. It's a, we have a relentless foe from whom there is no reprieve. So together I'd like to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. We'll just read it. Sometimes we do responsibly, but let's just read it together, all four verses Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning as we introduce this uh, concept of the Christian warfare, pray that Lord we would be in tune to scripture. Lord, I al- always ask for sustaining grace, that empowerment that you, uh, through your grace, allow To take the precious word of God and give it to your people. I came here to hear from you, not from a man. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would do that which I cannot do. And that is speak to hearts. We ask and claim your power in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you a couple of passages that help back up my statement that we are in Christian warfare. We'll go to Genesis. Genesis. So in Genesis chapter 3. So is there a war? Is there a conflict? I believe there is, and I believe the Bible backs this up. I don't believe, and I would think that the majority sitting here would say that there is a war that's going on. I don't think that you probably question that. But let's put the Bible to what we're saying. So in Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 1. Now the serpent was calm, or the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What do we see right after the beginning as far as creation? We see warfare. What do you mean? Do you say, it doesn't sound like a battle. Oh, that idea of subtlety. Alright? That's trickery. That's craftiness. And so here you see, right after God had a a perfect creation, a perfect place, what does Satan do? Satan comes and he automatically starts in trying to uh, undermine the things of God, the perfectness. And here we have in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, we have that. If you go uh, later in text, look at verse 24. Therefore... Uh, Verse 23, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden, who is that Adam and Eve, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So this goes along with our context of Ephesians 6 and verse 12, where it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And then it gives us a list. Now, the world for, uh, centuries, for decades, they kind of make a mockery of the spirit world. Uh, they kind of, they almost sometimes make it uh, cute. Uh, there's a mysticism about it. Uh, I'm not mystified. I don't think it's cute as far as that spiritual world because I believe it's for real. I believe that even in America, we are duped. We don't understand the work that demonism, the work that the devil, the work of his forces that is in our midst. One of the ways is just in uh, drug abuse. If you study the word uh, behind drug abuse, it's uh, pharmacia, which is um, uh and 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 some of it when you study the things as far as the Bible that pharmacia gives the idea that uh Satan can use drugs it's a it's a gateway that opens up people uh to the influence of Satan uh Satan and his uh, and his minions and I think all over America we're experiencing uh this spiritual warfare The spiritual warfare. And I don't have to be fearful of it. The Bible says he has not given me the spirit of fear. He's given me the spirit uh, uh, of power, uh, a sound mind and wisdom. He's given me those things. But for us to say that it doesn't exist is going against scripture. Here you see that right in Genesis chapter 1, what does God do? He sends spiritual beings. Not uh, not. Not man, he he sends cherubims, and what are they doing? They're there to guard. They're there to work. So here you see, there's a spiritual warfare right at Genesis chapter 3. Then notice in Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. So in Joshua chapter 1, what do we see as far as spiritual warfare? I believe this is, I love the book of Joshua. It's one of my favorite books. In fact, uh, in my doctoral program, I did this as an Old Testament study. So I basically wrote a 50-page paper uh, dealing with the book of Joshua. I just love the study of Joshua. I believe a lot of the fights, a lot of the uh, warfare relates spiritually. To us, I believe it's pictures for us of how we should fight and uh, how we should approach different things. And you'll notice in Joshua chapter one, in verse five through nine, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and have a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then uh, thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. What was he telling them? He was telling them, and we know the book of Joshua, there was a physical battle coming up. But some of it, as you read the context, you know this is internal. There's internal things. All right, courage. Courage is something internally that we have to gear up in. Uh, Fear is something internally that we have to deal with. And so as Joshua is stepping up and there was some physical battles that he was going to have to face, there was some internal, some spiritual battles, I believe, that he was going to have to face. And God was saying, I can help you. I can help you in this warfare. So then we go to the New Testament. And the New Testament in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 verses 11 through 14. Romans chapter 13, 11 through 14. And that knowing that the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Now, again, I think this is helpful. It's instructive to us. The Bible, the Bible is written and we believe, uh, in the, and we, and we talk about this as we talk about bibliology. So that's the doctrine of the Bible. When we go to the Bible and we're thinking about doctrine, it's important that we are specific and we know what we believe. So as a church, we hold to the plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture. So what, is, what does plenary verbal mean? All right. Plenary means all. Verbal means the words. So we believe every word is preserved for us. Everyone. So when we come to Scripture, it's not by chance that he's put those words there. I'm not going to substitute my ideas. No, God said, who is it written to? To you and I, the book of Romans. Most of us know a Pauline epistle. Pauline epistles follow a a very similar format almost all the time. The beginning is theology. The latter half is practicology. So we have theology and then we have the practice. We have very practical tips. So here, in practice, he's saying, you, as Christians, put off. You put on. So what is it telling you and I, as Christians? Why do we lose sometimes? Because you forgot to put off. And you forgot to put on. You can blame God for it. And you say, you know what? God says he'll give me victory. Listen to scripture. You put off, you put on. That's your job. You're not a baby. You're not you're not a, you're not a little uh kitty here. He says what you have to do is put get your big boy pants on and you put your armor on yourself. That's your job. And then he says, "Notice, cast off The works of darkness. So you know what's good for us to learn? What's the work of darkness? And get it out of your life. It'll ruin it. What does darkness do? Darkness creates fear. Doesn't it? So some of you are fearful in the battle. Because you haven't cast off the darkness. Also, what does darkness do? Darkness... Basically, you don't see what's happening. Uh, you don't know the enemy. What does darkness do? Darkness doesn't let you see things, too. It doesn't even let you see how you're suited up. So you cast off those things and put on the armor of light. Look at verse 13 and 14. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife. And envy. Uh-oh. Now, the beginning, the the first part of that, I think most of us would say, yeah, that is darkness. But what we have allowed as Christians is different levels of sins that are acceptable. Right, right. You know, like drunkenness. Oh, yeah, man. Get it out of there. Go in there and grab booze and dump it down the drain. I mean, we can all get punked about it. But notice what it says. Yeah, drunkenness and rioting, chambering, wantonness, and that has to do with sexual sins. But notice, then he says, strife and envying. Oh, come on, that's on the same level? Yes, because you know what discord can do? That's strife. What does God say about discord among the brethren? He hates it, and not just hates it, it's an abomination. Now, I I made a statement about sodomy. I believe that sodomy is an abomination. That's not my words. I'm not trying to be hurtful or hateful to people. That's God's words. And guess what? There are other things that are an abomination. Discord. Discord. Lying. A proud look. Wait a minute. That's on the... It's on the same level... Asset of me. And yet, what? That's acceptable to me. No, it isn't. Envying. Envying. So what is envying? Envying as well. Um, how, come, how come they are able to have that and I don't? How come God bless them and not me? And actually, in the pastor's world, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And so, guess what we do? We come up, and and it's not very Baptistic. In fact, I've prayed about it some. I'm trying not to pray too much longer because I think I got liberty from God to do it, and I'm thinking he'll pull it back. But I'm thinking in my Baptist vices of doing a podcast called, Are You a Closet Protestant? I think there's a whole bunch in our pews, and there's a whole bunch in our pulpits. The closet Protestants, and I'm just gonna call them out and say, come out of the closet. Come on out. Identify yourself. Because guess what? My Baptistic principles, really another church that's their church. It is. It's their church. You're like, well, wait a minute. I've got to warn. I understand there's some, there's some uh there is some latitude, but you know what? We take I don't think there's a lot of prayer about it. I don't think there's a a lot of prayer, because really there's a whole bunch of things that a lot of pastors are doing that none of their church even has a clue about. They don't. I'm telling you, I I don't think that a lot of you, like if I got up here and I spent like three weeks on a whole bunch of people all over America and on the mission field, you'd be like, for real? For real? I, I didn't even know that guy. So I just introduced you to him. All right, and so now you're going to research, and then maybe you might get uh, taken. Whereas if we just focus on our church sometimes, and then family to family, some of you are more concerned about every other family in the church instead of yours. Why don't you stick your nose in your own business? And you know what you'll find? There's so much sin there that you're going to have. You're going to have so much. You're going to have so much to deal with. That actually you're gonna start saying, Man, I'm so bad, they're good. You'll start thinking better of people because you'll start understanding what you are. But notice verse 14 but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make that provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Again, it gives us a hint. So then, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3 through 5. So all we're trying to do kind of as an intro this morning. Is to show you biblically, what are we seeing? Genesis, Joshua, Romans, now 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So that's not talking necessarily about the, like carnality. It's saying physically. It's physical. That's what it's talking about. Because look at the context. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So again, it's saying that there's a spiritual warfare. So Genesis, Joshua, Romans, Second Corinthians, and then we come to our text in Ephesians chapter 6. What is the Bible indicating to you and I? It's time to understand you're in a war. It's time to understand you're in a war. I like D. Martin Lloyd Jones. If you're wanting a book to read along with this, he did a massive study of the book of Ephesians and you can buy them in segments. So he has a segment on Ephesians 6 verse 10 and on called The Christian Soldier. It's pretty thick, and D. Martin Lloyd-Jones is, was gifted uh, as uh, an orator. And so this is what he says, a man who does not understand the nature of the problem, he is, uh, he is confronting as a man who is already doomed to failure. Christians sometimes are like first-year college students. Nothing against you first-year college students, except we're just going to make fun of you. They think at first that every subject is quite simple, that there is no difficulty, and then you flunk. And that's usually in the first month. Oh, this is so easy. And then you get that paper back, you're like, I mean, what's going on? Nobody communicated. Big boy pants. Yep. That's what time it is. And so that's what he's kind of saying is that many times we want to live in this oblivion. We want to live in this fairy tale world. But you know what? The Bible is here for us so that it reveals to us. No, no, no. Whether you knew it or not, upon salvation, you're a soldier now for Jesus Christ. You're a soldier. There's warfare. One uh, person put it this way, beware Of the fowler, remember that's listed in uh, the book of Psalms, the snare of the fowler. Beware the fowler in the way, the schemer with his traps adept, that cunning trickster who will lay and snaring nets where he has crept. The fowler knows his craft so well, each habit and routine discerns, the way of birds expertly tell, entrapment plans so well he learns. To map his prey so cunningly and plan with so art his haul, the fowler works strategically, an expert he, the best of all. Now Satan has his fowlers trained, his followers in his control, whose traps are set, the cords are strained, to catch God's children is their goal. Each subtle means will be employed, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, to cause God's work to be destroyed, to capture saints by wicked lies. Beware of the fowler's changing guise. His trickery is most refined. On every cunning trick relies to cause God's own to be maligned. Deliver us from the fowler's snares. On every path these nets are laid. Direct us, Lord, for our God cares. Our trust in him. On him we're stayed. I have three simple points and we won't get to uh, the second one we're going to skip a lot of. Okay? Uh, just to ease your mind. So point number one, who is our enemy? Notice in this passage, it tells us who our enemy is. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. And so here, the Bible indicates to you, you can know who the enemy is. You don't have to be ignorant of his devices. The enemy is devi- uh, identified by name. The enemy of believers is Satan. Satan, uh, that, the devil, all right, Lucifer. There's all kinds of names that you can study just in the names of the devil that help us to understand what he will try, what he will do. He is the great accuser of the brethren, the malignant foe of the followers of Christ, No believer needs to be deceived about his true identity. The enemy is identified by nature also, not just by name, by nature. Notice what it says in verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And that idea caught my attention. I was reading another book uh, in December, um, November and December, basically on the idea of being a soldier. And the author did a study just on snares of the devil. Snares of the devil. And so I just want to give you a couple of them. If you go to Exodus chapter uh, 23. Exodus chapter 23. Go to Exodus chapter 23. So the enemy is defined, not or identified by name, but also by nature. So what is it it that he's going to do? What is his nature? The wiles. That wiles means schemes laid for spiritual disaster. He wages warfare with deception and crafty assaults. So look at Exodus chapter 23 and verse 33. They shall not dwell in thy land. So who is this talking to Exodus? This is talking to the children of Israel that have been delivered from Egypt. And now God is giving them specific instructions... On how you're my people. He says, they shall not dwell in thy land. So that is foreigners should not dwell in thy land. Lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. Look at chapter 34 and verse 12. 34 and verse 12. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. If you want to put down a, another verse that kind of goes along with that, it's found in Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 25. It says this in Proverbs twenty two twenty five: 25, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. So what is what is the Bible telling us? The Bible tells, tells us there's a snare of worldly influence. That's what that kind of means. If you're going to the uh, Old Testament and you're studying about the Israelites and you're saying, you know, they came out of Egypt and then there was uh, they were my people. And then go to the New Testament and you're trying to get instruction and you realize that now we are a royal priesthood. We're a peculiar people. We're a generation that is set apart for him. Okay, I get that now. That's the New Testament. So some of those Old Testament teachings can help us to understand. So why did he say, hey, you've got to be careful of them outside. Don't let them come in and live with you. Why? Because it can be a snare to your soul. That's one of the devil's snares. And some of you have allowed worldly influence to come in and you don't even see it. It's snared your soul. That's why right away, you know, I've said this as far as my baptistic beliefs. I believe in the priesthood of the believer. And so the priesthood of the believer means that you as an individual can go to God and you can find God's will for your life. I don't really know God's will for people. You say, oh, I can't believe you said that's you. That's you. God has a will for me. And actually the Bible bears it out. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one. He has a race specifically set for you now. All right, before you go down and say when when, uh, somebody, a good Christian comes to you and says, hey, why don't you pray about this? Have you thought about this? Because this is what I can tell you. You, as a Christian, date an unsaved person and you want to get married, you're out of God's will. You say, oh, you say well, because I have a Bible. The Bible clearly lists out things that are, it's, it's very black and white there. It's, there's not a gray area there. And so then on those type of things, it can be very clear. And guess what happens? You go and do that. And that's why I believe that if you're dating somebody that is unsaved, I believe you're out of God's will. You're out of God's will. You'd say, well, wait a minute. I know somebody. I know somebody that is either in our church or I met somebody. And they started dating an unsaved person. They're both. You know what? God is merciful. I understand that God is Merciful. God may have allowed that. He may have come in and he might have stepped in and allowed some things through his mercy. But nowhere does scripture back that up. Nowhere does scripture back that up. So there's the snare of worldly influence. Look at Judges chapter 8. Judges chapter 8. So the snare of worldly influence. Then Judges chapter 8. And verse 27. Notice this is Gideon. And Gideon uh, was a good man. He was a good judge. God used him mightily. But you'll notice in Judges chapter 8, he made a a fatal flaw, an error. He made an ephod. So what was this ephod? It goes against. So why do I know this was wrong? I'll I'll read it. And then in your mind, you're going to, you're going to be able to, in your mind, see the scriptures show you how you can know certain things that are not God's will. Ephesians, our judges, eight twenty-seven. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Oprah. And all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which then became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. So what did it sound like? So this ephod, I don't know exactly what it's like, but what does it sound like? It is an idol. So Scripture. No gods before me. So right away, you know it wasn't God's will for Gideon to do that. So, guess what? There's a snare of worldly influence. There's a snare of false gods. There's a snare of false gods. What does it say? It says there, it became a snare unto Gideon himself. To his house. Now, this is kind of scary as a Dad. Do you know what I can do for my house? I can bring a false God in and it can influence my house towards other gods. A snare. I can bring, I can allow the devil in through that snare. So the snare of worldly influence, the snare of false gods. Go to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. This passage is talking about the strange woman. Look at verse ten. This is why I know it, verse ten. And behold, there met him, so there's a young man void of understanding that is there. And behold, there met him a woman with an attire of a harlot and subtle of hearts. So that word subtle, where's you connected again? That's Genesis, right? It was he was subtle. It's crafty. When 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 you see that, it's to you catch your uh catch your uh ear in your mind, you're like, wait a minute, I've seen that before. Then you go down in verse 23 or 22. He goeth after a straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasteth to the what? Snare. And knoweth not that it is for his life. So what is some of the snares that the devil uses? The wiles of the devil, the snare of worldly influence, the snare of false gods, But notice the snare of immorality. The snare of immorality. And that's why, again, just pause, young people. That's why we we caution you. Parents are trying to teach you biblical paths of of purity, trying to help you to understand why. Because it's a snare and it will come in and you're allowing Satan into your life. It's spiritual warfare here. And I have known folks that basically, by allowing that snare of immorality, they've opened the door for that spiritual warfare. And it is almost as though there is demonic activity there in the area of morality. Demonic activity, controlling. And some of you, you've seen that. You've experienced it. Our society, our society, I believe has fallen prey demonically to the snare of immorality. So there are people that, you know what, it, pornography is not a big deal, but they cannot put it down. They cannot stop it. They can't, they can't uh, get away from it. It's addicting, it's addicting, it's addicting. Why? Because it's a snare of the devil. Look at First Timothy chapter 6, one last one. One last snare. So who is our enemy? The enemy is identified by name. He's also identified by nature. He will use snares, the wiles of the devil, the snare of worldly influence, the snare of false gods, the snare of immorality, the snare of materialism. Look at 1st Timothy 6. What do I, what is it saying in 1st Timothy chapter 6? Verse 6. But godliness with contentment. Is great gain. It's telling us the context here. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a what? Snare. The snare of materialism. Some of you, that's what it is. And that's some of the reason that I even, with some of the Christian financial guys, they, they tout this idea of Basically, your idea is is to become rich. That's what you got to do. But they're going against scripture that says, labor not to be rich. Wait a minute. Oh, but you can then give. No, what I do is I work and God may bless you with that. There's nothing wrong if God blesses you with wealth. But what does God caution us? He said, it can bring us an error. It grabs you and makes you not content and makes you covetous and it makes you envious. Remember our sin that we allow and say it's okay. God says no envy. It needs to be put away. It's wrong. It's a work of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Who is our enemy? Our enemy is identified to us. How do we fight? All right, that was our second question in the outline, and that's the one I'm going to skip because starting in February, we're going to go through Ephesians chapter 6, and you're going to see that you have the breastplate of righteousness, you have the shield of faith, you have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and then you have a helmet with a broom on it. Alright, so that's what I'm thinking. That is I didn't know that you could take a Roman soldier and sweep the pavement. Alright, so I'm taking it. That's what they did. You're like, all right, sweep the pavement. Alright, the general's coming through, so that's why the I believe the broom is on top. But what is uh all of these things are here for us to help us to understand that's how we fight. Armor that we put on, and we need to learn how to use that armor. Because we're in Christian warfare. So the last last point I have is we have some divine help. Notice in our text in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 and verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You have some divine help. Did you notice in verse 10 it says, Finally, my brother... Notice before it tells you to put on the armor. Remember, I don't, think, I don't think that God does these things by accident. Before he tells you to put on the armor, what does he say? Be strong in the Lord. That's your strength. It's in the Lord. Your strength is from him. And then I put on that armor. He desires to give you strength. He desires to give you victory. But he's given you a sword of the spirit. When you're struggling with something in your life, arm yourself with some scripture and fight the devil against it. Christ, when he was here on this earth, I believe that he was uh, that he could have easily defeated Satan some other way in Matthew chapter 4 at the temptation. But I believe he is there for our example. And when the devil came to attack, and each of those attacks, it's the lust of the flesh, it's lust of the eyes, it's the pride of life. That is the three main attacks that the devil is going to come at you with. And every one of them, he answered with the sword of the spirit. Learn to use divine help. The sword of the spirit. And then you'll notice the other resource. I believe this is divine help. In verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. I think sometimes in our arrogance and our pride, we're afraid to go to God in prayer and we're afraid to ask others. The idea of supplication, I believe, is engaging others in prayer. If you study supplication in the Bible, normally supplication is involving others coming alongside. And you know what? As a soldier, as a sol- I, I've not been a soldier, okay? But I have been three decades a Christian soldier in ministry. And you know what I love? I love good friends, warriors to come along And sometimes you're limping. The devil undercut you. The the devil, devil, it, it seemed like he caught you off guard. And prayer warriors, that will bind with you in supplication. That is another divine help. That will allow us victory. So, do you have folks that you pray for? You have some folks that, and you think even the unsaved world. Who is pleading for them? We need to. We need to plead for them. We sing it, plead with with them earnestly. Here in the text, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. See the divine help? We have the Word of God. We have prayer, we have the Spirit of God that is given to us that will help us to win battles. Soldiers, I believe, fight more violently and gallantly when they know they are not alone. The soldier can remain in close, clear, personal communication with the commander. Christian warriors, we stand together, and we should, offering help. To fight in the battle. I read of of a man. His name was Arnold Benson. Arnold Benson was in World War II. And he wrote an article. They interviewed him in Newsweek magazine. And he said, I had a comparatively easy time in World War II. I did not go through any of the terror and horror that some men faced on the ships in the Navy. Nor did I face what the Marines did at Guadalcanal. Or infantry, infantry men everywhere. But I saw and felt enough to empathize with those men. And he said, I learned two profound lessons. Don't panic, don't quit. He said, So today, your car, your car breaks down. And this is him just talking in the article. Your car breaks down 27 miles from anybody. He said, You know what I learned? Don't panic. Don't quit. He said, so, you lost your job, and it doesn't seem like there's anything available. He said, I learned something. Don't panic. Don't quit. When I got out of World War II, he said, I'm grateful for it. It was a crash course in life and growing up. What I and a bunch of others got in a short span of time was an undying appreciation for that everyday, ongoing miracle, the resilience of the human spirit. Now, I appreciated him writing that, and I appreciated him revealing that, and the two lessons, don't panic, don't quit, and he applied it to the resilience and the human spirit. But as I was reading it, I was thinking, wait a minute. I'm in a spiritual war. Spiritual warfare. And sometimes... You get blindsided. Don't panic. Don't quit. What does the Bible say say uh, about quitting? It says a just man falleth seven times. And what does he do? Gets up. Get up. Suit up again. Understand that it is a war. You may not have thought so. You may have thought, well, this is going to be easy. I'm getting saved and everything's going to be easy from now on. That's not what the Bible indicates. It'll be easy in heaven. You say, wow, that's discouraging. No, it's not. Why? Because you know now there's a fight. You know there's an enemy. And you've been given some divine help. The word of God, prayer, the spirit of God. Then take that which has been given to you. And go to war. Get away from darkness. Understand the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. And victory on God's side is very rewarding. Very rewarding. I say amen to this challenge. The challenge given to us of the Christian warfare. We're soldiers, soldiers in the army. And so what should we do? Stand up for Jesus. Fight the good fight. Who is on the Lord's side, you ask? All of those songs we sing. So are you in the battle? Thanks for listening to The Baptist Pulpit, Second Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the word and hearing the word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.